Today is Father's Day. I want to welcome all of you and thank you for being here. All the fathers in the house, we really want to honor you today and, and just uh, thank you for being the dads that you are, whether you're a physical dad, a biological dad, or if you're a spiritual dad. That's very important too. We need spiritual fathers in the house too, and I know of many in this place. So thank you for being a dad. Um, you know, I know on Mother's Day we always uh, we do a nice sermon and we bless moms. We're just so thankful for moms. Then on dad, Father's Day we usually rebuke the dads. <laughs> uh, we're not going to do that today. So I'm going to give you the day off, guys. Um, I'm thankful that you're here. And uh, in honor of Father's Day, I'm wearing my my shirt that says "Dad Jokes." I think you mean rad jokes. And uh, this was given to me at the staff Christmas party last year. And so in honor of that, I have a few dad jokes for you this morning. All right. So I had a long conversation with a dolphin, a dolphin once. We just clicked. Uh, police just arrested the world's, the world's tongue twister champion. They say that he's going to be given a tough sentence. <laughs> They're getting worse. What did the police officer say to his belly button? You're under a vest. <laughs> that is so bad. I used to have facial, I used to hate facial hair, but then it grew on me. And last and probably least, uh, my friend lost his job at the bank on his first day. A woman asked him to check her balance, so he pushed her. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Taylor, for making that not quite as awkward. Oh. Would have been awkward with, no, with silence after each one. All right, so we are in a series this summer in June and July called People, Places, and Things, as I'm sure you know if you've been here. And we're going to continue that today. And on our Father's Day, we're going to talk about one of the most faith-filled fathers in all the Bible. But we're also going to talk about a place. We're going to talk about Abraham on Mount Moriah. And uh, many of you are familiar with that story, but just in case you're not, before I get into my text verse, I want to give you the, the backstory of this. So Abraham, as you know, he's one of the patriarchs of the faith. He is the, the father of Israel. He is the one that God said, I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And he was old, older in age and had no kids, and, but God said, I'm going to do it. And he gave him Isaac in his old age. And at one point, uh, God spoke to Abraham and said, listen, I want you to go to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice your son. Now, this sounds really crazy to us that anyone would, that God would ask somebody to sacrifice their son. But this actually wasn't all that uncommon back in Abraham's day. Uh, obviously, our father, our heavenly father, the real God, uh, never asked people to do that. But the pagan gods, people would do that all the time, would sacrifice children and, and kids to their gods. It was horrible, horrific stuff. And so God said, Abraham, I want you to go. And so the Bible says early the next morning, Abraham got up and went to the mountain. And it was a three-day journey to get to Mount Moriah. And when he got there, he had two servants with him as well. And he told the servants, he said, you guys stay down here. Me and my son are going to go up the hill to worship, and we'll be back. And so that's where I'm going to pick up my text verse today. In fact, I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, as I read out of Genesis 22, verses 7 to 14. It's a lengthy passage, but it's worth it. Tells a great story, so I encourage you to follow along. It says, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. That was a declaration of faith on Abraham's part. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. 
But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And so it is, so to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. How many of you know he is our provider? Hallelujah. The title of my message today is Called to the Mountain. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we love you today, and we thank you for your presence in this place, God. Thank you for your sweet presence, Lord. Father, I bless everyone that's here today, and I pray that you would honor their efforts to come and and weather the storm to be here today. I pray that you would speak through me, that my words would be your words, and we thank you that your word does not return void, that it will do the work it is set out to do. I pray that you would open our hearts, that our hearts would be great soil today for your word to produce fruit in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I forgot to welcome all those watching online as well today. Welcome, everybody. We're glad to have you today, too. And uh, we're thankful that you guys can be part of this. And glad you were able to stay dry today. We're all a little bit wet, but we're glad to be here. Praise God. So, in our story today... Abraham had a mountaintop experience. God called him to the mountain. And when we refer to a mountaintop experience, we're typically talking about one of those highly emotional peaks in our life, right? You can think of a mountaintop experience you probably had in your life, uh, whether it was getting into the school you were hoping to get into or getting the job that you were hoping to get when you found out, you know, you're really excited. Or uh, if you are a dad and you're married here today, you know, that moment where you had got the guts to ask that girl out and she said yes to your surprise and shock. And uh, that was a mountaintop experience for you. I remember my first conversation with Joy, telling her about my feelings, and she responded so well. And here we are today, right? And uh, those are great experiences. Or, or, or your wedding day is a mountaintop experience. The, the birth of your children is a mountaintop experience. We, we have these in our life, and they're wonderful. And, uh, and we, we think about them, we remember them. They're things that are plastered into our mind that we take with us as we move forward. But there are also spiritual mountaintop experiences that are wonderful too. In fact, in many ways, they're even better. These emotional highs we can have with the Lord sometimes in our life can be so, so powerful. Abraham definitely had that here. The Bible doesn't talk about his emotions when the angel stopped him from killing his son and he saw this ram that he knew that this ram was brought in as a replacement. The Bible doesn't say how Abraham felt, but I think it's pretty safe to say he was pretty jacked up. He was pretty excited about the fact that God provided for him in a miraculous way, that that there was this incredible provision from God in the midst of this situation he was in. I know I've had a few of those in my life, and I can remember them when I when I felt like God provided for me in a way, not necessarily about things, but just provided. I, I felt his presence, I felt his him speaking to my heart, or he he did something that I knew was God. And those moments are incredible. And we should be thankful for those moments in our life. And the Bible tells us or shows us through this story and actually through many other stories in the Bible that when God calls us to the mountain, that he's going to provide, that it's going to be an incredible experience for us. But we also learn from the story that when he does that, it's also going to be challenging. We see it over and over and over again in the Bible where it was challenging 
for those that were called to the mountain. Elijah was called to the mountain, to Mount Carmel. Incredible story in the Bible of him building this altar and God consuming his sacrifice and consuming his offering and all the prophets of Baal, he didn't consume theirs and ended up defeating all those prophets that day. An incredible story out of the Bible. But it was a challenge for Elijah. It was a challenge to get there. He was one of the last prophets of God in that time. We see Moses on Mount Sinai. God called him up the mountain to give him the law. And we've talked about the golden calf and what the Israelites did in that time and, and what Moses even had to get to to get to Mount Sinai or what he had to go through to get to Mount Sinai. He had had a, a lot of difficulty, a lot of challenges getting to that place, to being in the presence of God. We've all had epic moments in our life probably in some form or fashion when it comes to our relationship with God if we've been serving him for a while. But they come at a cost. They come at a cost in our life. And, but when we have those moments, it's also the time of God's best provision for us in ways that we can experience powerfully. We see how God provided for Abraham on the mountain in a miraculous way. And it's, it's fitting that we would talk about provision today on Father's Day because as a dad, it's hardwired in us as fathers to want to provide for our family. There's a sense of satisfaction we get when we see the, the provision that God has given us through our hard work to be able to provide for our family. And I know dads aren't the only ones that work outside the home, but today we're celebrating dads. And so we're talking about the fact that, that how much men just love to provide. I know when it's, when it's summertime and it's hot outside and you can walk in and the air conditioner is kicking, it feels good to know that you're the one that helped provide that air conditioning and paying for the power bill and all those things. We enjoy that. We enjoy to be able to provide. But as Christians, we know that the Bible tells us that ultimately God is our provider. He uses us, but he is our provider. In fact, uh, one of the names of God is Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. It's the name that, that Abraham gave to that place on the mountain. The Lord will provide. It is, it is a characteristic of God to provide for us. It's part of his DNA. It's part of his makeup. And we can rejoice in that. It gives him pleasure to provide for us in our life. And there's a special provision, another level, if you will, for us when we are up on the mountain with God. It's another level of provision. I'm not talking about money. I'm not talking about a, another level of financial stuff necessarily in our life. But I'm talking about the provision of God where we, where we see his promises, where his promises come to fruition, where we experience him in a powerful way in our life. Those are the things and, and the things that only God can do in our life. It's, a, it's another level of provision when we see it on the mountain. But the mountain is also another level of responding to God. Not just anyone gets to go up the mountain. We have to be at a place where we're willing to respond to his call because going up the mountain, there's another level of sacrifice for us that we would, that we would sacrifice our time and our resources and our dreams and our, and our passions. We would sacrifice those things on the mountain. It's another level of obedience where we would... Be, get, we would lose the mindset of just trying to get by as a, as a follower of Jesus, but that we would, we would push the boundaries and be radically obedient to our God. That's what it takes to be up on the mountain. It's another level of trust to be able to go up the mountain. You know, Abraham, it doesn't tell us anything that Abraham said anything to anyone about what God told him to do. In fact, the, the text leads you to believe he didn't tell anyone what he was doing with Isaac. And the fact is, he probably didn't tell them because he probably thought they would have tried to talk him out of it. That's the kind of trust that it takes to be able to go up the mountain to where we're trusting him in such a way that even other Christians would look at us and say, man, that's crazy. You shouldn't do that. That's the kind of trust it takes 
That's the kind of trust we should be striving for, the kind of faith where we would be willing to do things that even other followers of Jesus would look at us and say, whew, that guy's crazy. But to be able to trust him in that respect, it's also another level of worship. You know, Abraham told his servants to stay here. Me and Isaac are going to go up the hill to worship. He wasn't lying to him. This was an act of worship for Abraham. It was an act of extreme worship. This is so much more than just singing a couple songs on Sunday morning. This is, this is worship in a way that it's saying, God, whatever you say, my life isn't my own. Even the promise you've given me, if you ask me to sacrifice it, I'll do it. The, 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 the commitment that Abraham had to God, the commitment to worship him, not just by singing, but with his life, that's another level that it takes for us to be able to go up to the mountain. So how do we know if God's calling us up the mountain? Because we don't need to be presumptuous and just run up there. In regards to this story we're talking about today, because I can tell you, unless God's calling you up there, you don't want to go up the mountain. Because it's not just a place for all of us to go. But if you follow Jesus, and if you love Jesus, and if you would say, yes, Lord, your will, not mine, be done. That you would say, yes, I want your kingdom to come, not my kingdom. I, wanna, I want less of me and more of you. If that's your desire in your life, and you're going after Jesus, there's going to come a time, multiple times in your life, where he's going to call you up the mountain. He's going to call you to that place of going to another level in your life. And you will know the moment that he's calling you because you will be dedicated to Jesus. You're all in. You're, you're committed to saying, yes, God. Whatever the question is, Jesus, the answer is yes. And when we're at that place, we will know when he's calling us up the mountain. I, I talk about, when I talk about the will of God, because everybody wants to know God's will for your life, I've been saying this for years because I feel like God just gave me a, a great revelation that just takes all the pressure off about trying to figure out God's plan for our life. And at the end of the day, it boils down to this. If you are committed to Jesus, and if you are determined that your life is going to be lived to honor him and love him, and to seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, then there is no way in this world you will ever miss God's plan for your life. You can't do it. I don't believe it's possible. And you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, because I know that God got me to this place where I am today in spite of my horrible decisions that I've made. But I also know in that time, I was dedicated to Jesus. It doesn't matter that we make every decision perfect. It's not like it's this road that if you get off the path, you're messed up and you're going to end up at the wrong destination. It's about putting him first in your life. And when we do that, we will not miss it. And so if we're putting him first in our life and he wants to take us up the mountain, we will not miss it. You will know when God's calling you up that mountain in your life. I can tell you today that not every Christian has the stomach to go up the mountain. There'll be a lot of people that will never, ever venture up that hill. Some would say the sacrifice is too great. I've been doing this long enough to know, and I've been living for Jesus long enough to know that there's a lot of Christians will never, ever leave the plateau. They'll never leave the base of the mountain. They'll never leave. They'll never even think about going up that mountain because it is a different experience than what it is on the bottom of the hill. This is not a salvation issue when we talk about going up the mountain. So you can say no. Abraham could have said no to going up the mountain, but he didn't. He, he honored God and served him. Because see, here's the thing, church. We are all, every one of us, no matter how long you've been serving Jesus, no matter how far are you, you are on your journey, none of us are serving him 100%. Because every one of us has something in our life that's still a challenge that we haven't given to him or that, that creeps, its, creeps up in our life and keeps us from being able to be 100% 
dedicated to Jesus because we still live in these fleshly bodies. We still have the flesh that we're still having to crucify every day, right? And so because of that, there's a, there's a portion of us that is not fully committed to him. There's, a, there's an aspect of where we're still living for ourselves. And when we go up the mountain, the, the mountain is about God getting that last part of us. If you're serving him with 90%, there's only 10% of you that's wanting you to do it your way, and you're fighting that battle, and that's, that's, the, that's the thing that, that can get to you. When we go up the mountain, that's exactly what God's wanting to deal with. And if you're only, if you're only half-heartedly serving him, he's never going to call you up there because it's no place for people that are just half-heartedly serving God. I can tell you today, there are no Sunday Christians up on the mountain because they wouldn't last a minute. It's a, it's a place for people that are devoted to God. God is looking for those that he can call to the mountain. Are you that person today? And if not, are you willing to say, God, I want to be willing to take my next step to where I can get to that place where you can look at me like you did Abraham and say, I want to bring you up here. Because that is the place of greatest provision. It is the place of greatest blessing, but it's also the place of a greatest challenge in our life too. So there's a few things we learn on the mountain. First of all, we learn that radical obedience brings radical results. You see, we miss out on so many of God's blessings in our life because we won't trust him with that last 10% or with that last 20% or whatever it is. We miss out on so much that God has for us. We refuse to be obedient to the level where God can call us to the mountain. That's That's a lot of us. But it doesn't have to stay that way. I'm not here to beat us up at all. It's about opening our eyes to the fact that there is more to, what we, to life than what we might be exhibiting, more to our Christian life. Because, see, there's a lot of Christians that actually, they, they treat Jesus kind of as their lottery ticket, right? You want to make very little investment. You know, for a lottery ticket, you plunk down a couple bucks, but you're hoping for big, big returns. And too many of us live our Christian life that way, where we want to make little investment in God. We want enough to be saved, but we're hoping for really big returns. We're hoping for all the perks of a follower of Jesus, even though we're not really willing to invest a whole lot. And Jesus is not to be treated like a lottery ticket. He is to be given everything. Jesus says, if you don't take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. The cross is a symbol of death. It is about laying down our lives for him and saying, yes, Lord, your will be done, not mine. That's the plan that God has for all of us. And those people in your life that have had incredible experiences, they didn't get there by accident. The ones that have had the mountaintop experiences with God, it wasn't just a happenstance. It wasn't that they were just kind of doing their own thing, and one day they found themselves on top of the mountain. It's an intentional thing. It's those that are willing to live radically obedient to Jesus. That's a, that's a, that's a uh, quiet, not very common notion, even in the church today, to be radically obedient to our God, to reject the things that would want to pull us away from him and be completely focused and have our eyes fixed on him. You know, I think of somebody that we honored this week that I think exemplifies this was Mr. Eddie Collier. We just had his funeral here three days ago. And the man was one of the best men I've ever known, dedicated to Jesus. He served in the youth group at New Hope for more decades than I would even dare to count, into his 70s. He was back there at the back of the youth service walking around praying. I went back there a few times just to stand in the back just to kind of hang out. He'd be back there praying. I couldn't even listen to the service because he was praying too loud. Wonderful man of God. And he brought people into his home, troubled people into his home to live with them, to help them in situations when they were younger. Just made all kinds of sacrifices 
being radically obedient to Jesus. And I tell you, he stood before the Lord on, on Tuesday morning, and I know the Lord said, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcomed him into his presence because of his radical obedience. And I want to be remembered for that too, and I hope you do too. And when we had the funeral, all of his grandkids got up and just talked about how great he was. And everybody that talked about Eddie that day was just, man, he's just such a wonderful man of God. He wasn't perfect, but he was radically obedient to his God. And the fact of the matter is, church, we're, either, we're always going to be radically obedient to something. We're either going to be radically obedient to our flesh, or we're going to be radically obedient to God. There is no middle ground, because if you're not serving God, you're radically obedient to your flesh. There is no other way. There is none. It's either him or it's not. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6, he says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So you're either given in, you're, you're either radically obedient to sin, or you're radically obedient to righteousness. That's the only, there's only two options. And so we might as well choose the one that we know to be the truth. Because we know enough to know that our flesh will always, always lead us astray. And when we're radically obedient to God, church, there are promises of God that are implemented into our life from his word that we can stand on and we can know are true. See, there's, a, there's some promises, there's some, some things in the word that even the, the shallow, non, uh, very small committed Christian will try to hold on to but these passages aren't even necessarily for the half-hearted. They're for those that are completely bought in. In fact, one of the most famous quoted, tattooed, bumper sticker verses in all the Bible is Philippians 4:19, And you guys know this verse. In verse 20, 19 and 20, it says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. We love that verse, right? And my God will meet all my needs. Oh, praise God, he's going to meet all my needs. But you know what? We have to understand the context of this verse. We shouldn't be quoting verses out of context if we don't know what it means. Because Paul is talking very clearly here in the beginning of Ephesians or Philippians 4. He's, he's commending the Philippian church for how they have helped him as he has gone on his other journeys to plant more churches. And it is very well documented that the Philippian church was very poor that they were not a wealthy church, that they were actually giving to Paul even out of their poverty. And he said, you know, there are other churches that are much wealthier than you that aren't even helping me, yet you guys are doing this. And he said, I want to thank you for it because you're helping the gospel go forth. And then he says, and my God will meet all your needs because they were radically obedient to God. And that matters. That matters that we are radically obedient to him. But you see, there's a danger too of wanting to do crazy things in the name of the Lord so that God will meet us in that place and we'll see the radical provision he has, but we're doing these, we're stepping out in radical obedience, but it's not really obedience. It's wanting to do things to try to get God to move on our behalf to do things we want him to do. And if we do that, we're not actually wanting to see him glorified. We're actually doing it for ourselves because it's not obedience if God didn't tell you to do it. See, this is, this is about making sure we're listening to the voice of God in our heart Make sure we're obedient to his leading, the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And if he calls you up the mountain, you go. But if he doesn't call you and you still go up the mountain, you're not going to get that same provision because God didn't tell you to do that. And it's only for ourselves when we do it outside of the plan or the will of God. And Paul was very clear in Philippians 4, 19 and 20. He says, to God be glory forever and ever. 
You get the glory if you do something crazy that God didn't tell you to do and you see him provide for you. It'll be about us and not him then. In fact, Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 16, 9, it tells us that the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Fully committed to him. That word, that, that phrase fully committed, you know what it means? Fully committed. It means fully committed. That's what he's looking for. He's looking to bless those. He's looking to help those who are committed to him, not trying to get him to do things for us so that we can get what we want. Even his provision for us, church, is about him being glorified. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. You know, our reckless obedience will require sacrifice on our part. It will require sacrifice, and not sacrificing thinking that God's just going to replace it and give us back more than what we're sacrificing, but really being willing to lay it down. Really being willing to say, I give this up. He might ask us to sacrifice something. He might ask us to sacrifice a relationship. He might ask us to sacrifice our pride. He might poke at a sin in our life and say, I'd want you to give that to me. He might ask us to sacrifice our unforgiveness, our, our desire, our need to be right in a, in a situation where we were hurt by somebody and, and we've been offended and we've been taken advantage of. And God might say, I need you to lay that down. You know, I've, I've shared this before. I don't know if I've done it on the stage here, but I, I, there was a family member of mine that had hurt me quite a bit over the years and uh, it's not joy. So praise God. But there was somebody that had hurt me a lot, and, and I had a lot of pain in my life because of some of the things that have happened. And, and this person was never apologetic, never really asked me to forgive. And, and when I would have to talk to this person, I would bring it up a lot and, and complain about it. And it was just something that was just kind of sticking with me, and I tried to forgive so many times, and I just felt like it was just never really released and thrown off of me. And one day, the Lord decided to take me up the mountain. And I remember exactly where I was. I was driving down Riceboro Road, and I, as much as I've ever heard the Lord speak to me, he said, I want you to call this person and forgive them and say you're letting it go and you'll never bring it up again. And after I argued with God for 20 seconds, I said, okay. And I picked up my phone and I called. And I said, I just want you to know I'm never going to bring it up again. You have a clean slate with me. We're good. And the response was incredible for the other person and for me because I felt the weight of it just lifted off of me and gone. God met me on that mountain, but I had to sacrifice my right to be right. My right to, be, to have an apology given to me. Still didn't apologize, but was thankful for my forgiveness. And we have to give that up sometimes. That's where God will take us when he takes us up the mountain in our life. The mountain also doesn't build faith as much as it reveals it. The mountain reveals faith more than it builds it. Abraham's faith was revealed on the mountain. He had faith that God would even raise Isaac from the dead if he did kill him. That's how much faith he had. But faith is built off the mountain. Faith is typically built outside. Now, that doesn't mean when we have these experiences with God that it doesn't also build our faith, but it's, it's not about getting our faith to that place that God can do what he's going to do. The faith is built down off of the mountain, and our faith will lead us to the mountain. Same thing that happened for David, going to the mountain where he, which uh, t is widely circulated and widely believed was the exact same place as this, was when David went to uh, the, the Arauna to, to make the sacrifice because there was a plague over Israel at the time. He had to make a sacrifice and then the plague stopped. That's what David had to do. He had to go there and make the sacrifice. Also, Elijah's faith took him to Mount Carmel to where he was able to stand before the Lord and do what he did. You see, this is not for everyone. 
going up the mountain. It's about making, if, if our faith is at a place that we can go up the mountain, God will take us there. But if we're not there, God will not take us up the mountain until our faith is ready. You see, many people are scared to be fully committed to God because they feel like if I, if I commit myself to Jesus, he's going to make me do something like they did to Abraham. Well, that's not how God works. He doesn't take us from being a baby Christian, step one to step 500 in one day. Even for Abraham, he prepared Abraham for this day because, you know, his other son, Ishmael, he had to send him away too. And God said to go ahead and send him away. But it wasn't, it wasn't nearly as severe as what he was asking to do with Isaac. He prepared Abraham even for this moment with Isaac. And he will do that for us. That's why we, we always talk about in this church about next steps. Because there's always a next step in your faith. Wherever you are in your faith, it's about taking the next step. We're not asking people, God doesn't ask us to take these giant leaps forward where we don't even know what we're getting into. Right? God doesn't expect the same amount of faith from someone that got saved yesterday as someone that's been saved for 50 years. He doesn't, that would, it would be foolish for God to send us up the mountain when we're at this place we're not even sure if we really believe what the Bible says. He's not going to take us to that place. So we don't have to be afraid to commit ourselves and trust Jesus and trust God in our life because we can know that he's going to get us there. You know, our salvation, it's not transactional. It's a relationship. It's about going, moving forward one step at a time every day and always growing. We just always want to be growing. We always want to look back and say, okay, I, I'm, I'm better than I was. I've grown more than I was where I was a year ago. That's what it's about. So we don't have to be afraid to commit ourselves to him. Something else we learned from the mountain is that, the mount, uh, that God's promises die before they live. God's promises to us, they typically will die before they live. And I know some of you might even have a tough time accepting this. You might say, well, that doesn't really go with what I've been taught. You know, maybe you've been taught that God's kind of like the candy man, just keeps on dishing it out. You know, when I've used that up, he gives me more. You could even say, well, doesn't Paul say in Corinthians that the promises of God are yes and amen? In fact, we sang about it today, right? Absolutely, and I believe that wholeheartedly. There's no question about it. But that doesn't change the fact that when you are living for Jesus and God gives you a promise, whether it's a vision he's given you, if it's a promise he's given you about uh, a job or a promise about a relative that he says that person's going to get saved, you, you have something that you've been holding on to because you know that this was from God for you in that moment. That overwhelmingly, most of the time, that promise is going to seem hopeless before it actually comes to fruition. It's going to seem like there is no way that this is really going to happen. There's no way that God's going to be able to come through for me. And I'm not talking about your dreams. I'm not talking about your promise, your goals, your visions. I'm talking about the ones that come from God. There's going to come moments where they feel like they're going to die. This is what Mount Moriah reveals to us. Because see, Abraham going up the mountain, Isaac was the fulfillment. Well, he was the beginning of the promise that God gave Abraham. God told Abraham, he said, you're gonna, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And so he had to have a child for that to even be a possibility. So he has Isaac. And Isaac, he knew, was going, to fulfill, was going to carry on this tradition. And obviously we know that Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12, and it went from there, right? And so God says, I want you to take this promise I gave you, and I want you to take it up the mountain and sacrifice it. And God does that for us. This is not exclusive to Abraham. God oftentimes tells us to sacrifice or to lay down even his promises. See, it's easy for us in this story because we know the end of the story. 
And we know that as Abraham's going up the mountain with Isaac, that there's a ram coming up the other side. The provision's coming up the other side of the mountain, right? We know it, so we see that and go, yeah, it's no big deal. But Abraham didn't know it. Abraham had no idea. The Bible's clear that Abraham thought he was going to have to kill his son. He did not know that that provision was coming up the other side of the mountain. Yet he was willing to step out in faith. He was willing to lay down the promise that God had given him, literally lay him on an altar because God had asked him to. But see, God doesn't always ask us to lay things down like that, but it'll come to a place where we feel like we have no other option. We will feel like things are hopeless in our life. We'll feel like there's just no way. It happens over and over and over again in the Bible. Just to name a few, David, anointed king of Israel. I can promise you that the, the promise of God in his life looked like it was dead many, many times. Joseph was told by God that he was going to be a ruler. That promise looked like it was dead on arrival more often than not for 13 years. It was, it was gone. There was no chance of it. I mean, we see it, Solomon was told he was going to be the king to follow his dad, David, from the throne. This, one of his brothers, Adonijah, comes in, takes the throne before Solomon even has a chance to. It looked like it was dead. Looked like the promise was not going to happen for him. Gideon, God says, Gideon, you're going to deliver my people from the Midianites. The Midianites come at him with 135,000 in their army. His army dwindles down to 300. It looks like there's no way this is going to happen. Yet God came through. Over and over and over again, we see how God shows us that the, the promise that he's given us is probably going to have to die before it lives. And I want to ask you today, because I believe you probably have dreams that you feel God has given you, you have promises that you're holding on to, and you think, man, it even feels hopeless. I want to tell you today that, that, that it's not hopeless, that God takes you to these places, and he does it for a few different reasons. He, and I'm going to give you two that I believe he does it for. First of all, if it dies, there is a spiritual principle that it will actually be more fruitful than if it hadn't died before it came to life. We see this with Jesus. Jesus words himself in John 12. He says, I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Jesus is talking about himself here. He's saying, listen, basically, me being on earth is good. You guys are getting to experience healings and see all these great things. But unless I die, my seed will not go out beyond my life here on this earth. So no one after the time that Jesus was on earth would have experienced him if he hadn't died first. He's talking about wheat, wheat. The wheat seeds have to die. They have to fall, go into the ground, then they can produce more seeds. He's talking about himself, but he's also talking about us and the promises of God that even the promises of God have to die so that they can produce more fruit in our life. It's actually a beautiful thing. It, it helps us to have some understanding of why things seem to always go like this after we get a promise from God before it actually comes to fruition. But I tell you, I think the biggest reason God allows these things in our life and does these things is because he has to know that he is more important to us than anything he can give us. He, has to, he tests our heart because he wants to know that we don't love the promise more than we love the promiser. We have to love the gift giver more than the gift. And so we will be tested in those times to make sure that our heart is in a good place. In fact, we see it in this story in Genesis from Abraham in Genesis 22, 12, part of my text verse, it says, the angel stopped Abraham and said, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me, your only son. He's saying, now I know. God had to know, and, and we, listen, we know God, he knows everything, right? 
He's omniscient. It wasn't that God needed to know this, but he needed to see that Abraham knew that he was able to do it himself. He wanted Abraham to know that he would not withhold anything from him. The, Abraham had to have that revelation, just like we have to have that revelation. God wants us to see that we love him more than we love anything he can give us. And it matters. And it is important. So if you have a promise from God, if you have something that you've been holding on to and you feel like it's on life support, I want to encourage you today, don't give up. Don't give up. If it's from God, it's going to happen. But he wants to make sure that we will walk through it and trust him even when it looks bleak. It'll happen. It's happened to me multiple times in my life. It's happened to me in business where we felt like God gave us a promise and there were moments where it looked like there's just no way and God does these things. In fact, God causes us to do some things sometimes that are radical to show him and to show ourselves that we trust him enough to be radical for him. In ministry, definitely have experienced it. In fact, I can tell you, uh, we're far enough removed from it now, I feel like I can tell you guys, Joy and I felt the Lord spoke to us in 2015 that we were going to be pastoring this church. And we didn't tell anyone. But we knew it as much as we've ever known anything in our life. I mean, it was so clear and it wasn't even something we were looking for, but God had spoken it to us. And so at first, when we got this promise, we were excited. Like, wow, that's really cool. You know, for the first little bit, it was great. It was exciting. It was new. We believed it was from God, so we were holding on to it, right? Within a year, we're a little bit confused. Because just, you know, there's too many things that look weird about it. Like, mm, there's too many things that could go wrong, you know? By the second year, we're concerned. Starting to think, hmm. And, and constantly asking ourselves, do we really hear from God? Like, we would go back, and I would go back all the time. I'm like, I know that I know. I know that I know. And by the third year, or fourth year, whatever it was, we were, I was pretty much hopeless. Uh, I've, there was so many things saying that this is just never going to happen. And it was, it was literally got to the point where it was dead for me. Like, I was still holding on to the Word of God because I believed it. But my emotions and how I felt about it was like, mm-mm. I mean, to the point we almost gave up, if I'm really honest. And then just when it seemed the bleakest, God comes through and made it happen. And it wasn't because of anything we did. It wasn't because of us pining for anything. It was because God made it happen, and God promised us. And even though it died for a while, God brought it back. And I believe it's going to produce more fruit because I believe that what has happened in the midst of that is that not only are we grateful that God has done this and come through, but it's also in that season it killed so many things in us that could have got in the way if everything just went smoothly. And so there's a trust in him now that's like, <laughs> I mean, if he can do what he did to get us here, I don't have to, it takes the pressure off of us. You know, we still put pressure on ourselves, but God's not putting any pressure on us. It's about being faithful. It's about knowing that no matter what happens, if it's good in this church, it's not because of us. Sometimes it'll be in spite of us. It's because this is it's his, it's his church. It's everything's about him. Baptizing people today, I, it has nothing to do with me. It's about us being faithful stewards of what he's called us to do. I'm just standing there getting my arms wet. This is all about Jesus. It's about him being glorified in the midst of all of this. And so I'm thankful for the fact that I feel like it died before it came back to life. And he's going to do the same thing for you. And for some of you, this might be the most relieving thing you've ever heard in your life because you've been wondering, what is going on, God? What is going on? I know I heard from you. I know that you spoke this to me, yet it's not happening. In fact, it's gotten worse since you said something. Well, praise God. Praise God. If he, if he told Abraham, you're going to have a son, and he had this son, Isaac, and he's going to be the son of the promise, and then he says, oh, by the way, I want you to go kill him. 
If he's going to do that to Abraham, he's going to do that to us too. But praise God, because when we go up that mountain, the provision's coming up the other side. And we can trust him. We can radically trust him in the midst of any challenges we go through. But I want to encourage you today, do not let go of the promises that God has given you in your life. And finally, very quickly, it's never about us on the mountain. Never, ever about us. I love Paul's words. He says, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in the cross. There's nothing else for me to boast about because <laughs> there's nothing good in me. It's all about him. Jesus even came to glorify God. While he was on the earth, Jesus said in John 12, 27, he says, now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. That should be our heart, church, that if God does take us up the mountain, it's about glorifying him. I love the fact that Abraham, it says he named that place, the Lord will provide, right? You know what's missing from that name? His name had nothing to do with him. He didn't say, you know, I didn't say, oh, I'm going to name this place, you know, the place of my obedience. I'm going to name this place Abraham and Isaac's home run or whatever. Nothing, had nothing to do with them. He said he named the place the Lord will provide. It's all about the Lord. It's all about what the Lord is going to do. It's all about the Lord receiving the glory for it. It's all about his kingdom. It's all about giving it all back to him. That's why the Lord was able to do that to Abraham and make him the father of a nation because he knew Abraham would respond in that way. It's all about him. And it will never, ever, ever be about us. We get to reap the benefits of it, of his faithfulness, of his provision. We get to reap that. That's because he's a good father. And we can be grateful for that and thankful for that. But it's always got to go back to him. And let me tell you, the, the fact that, that Joy and I were tested to get to this place in life, it is so easy for me when anybody encourages us and says they love the church and they're excited about what's happening and anything good, it's so easy for me to say, praise God. Praise God. Praise God. It's all about him. It's all for him. It's all that his name would be glorified. It's all that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? And I will close this out this morning, afternoon. You know, something else that's very significant about what Abraham called that place on the mountain. He said, the Lord will provide. You notice that's future tense. He said, the Lord will provide. And many people think that uh, the place where Jesus was crucified was in that same area. Maybe not on the exact same spot, but it was in that Mount Moriah region where Jesus was crucified. Abraham was actually pointing forward to the real provision that was going to come thousands of years later when Jesus was going to come and he was going to he was going to carry some wood up a hill and he was going to hang on that and make the ultimate sacrifice for us and also be raised back to life the, the similarities are incredible it's a, there are types and shadows of Jesus all through the Old Testament it's all about pointing us to Jesus even the story of Abraham is about pointing us to Jesus so I want to encourage you today that Everything we're talking about today is all to point you to Jesus. It's all to make us love him, to give him our lives, to give him our, our commitment, to give him our loyalty, to give him our obedience, to give him our worship. It's all about him. So I would challenge you today, and I hope you respond to the challenge to just take your next step in commitment to him, your next step in your relationship with him. What does it look like for you? If you're early, early on in your journey, it may just be something small. 
just to be able to say, Jesus, I love you, and just to give him something. But if you're further along, it may be going up the mountain. But boy, going up the mountain, it's, it's a challenge, but the provision is phenomenal. Just answer the call. Respond to the prompting of the Lord in your life. Would you pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, we love you today. We thank you for your word. It is your word that changes us. It is your word that sets us free. It is your word that gives us life. And I pray, Father, for each and every one of us, everyone under the sound of my voice today, Lord, that you would help us to radically obey your word. To not be afraid to be committed to you, Lord, for fear of what you might make us do, but to be willing to take that next step. If it's baptism, then praise God. Help us to take that step. If it's to step out in faith to do something that other Christians would look at and say, that's crazy. Lord, give us the strength to be able to make that choice. God, ultimately, we pray that you would be glorified in our lives. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the greatest provision in the history of the world that is Jesus. Lord, we thank you so much today that you loved us so much that you sent your only son. And God, I pray for anyone under the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that they would not leave today without committing their life to you, Lord. We thank you that your word tells us that you will not push any of us aside. You will not reject any of us, no matter what we've done, but that you welcome us with open arms. God, we bless you today. Be exalted today in our lives. Help us to respond to the call. When you call us up the mountain, Lord, help us not to be afraid, but to boldly walk and to be like Abraham, to trust you, that no matter what you're calling us up there to do, that we know that you will provide for us. Thank you, Lord. We love you today. We honor you. We worship you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we praise God with a hand clap offering? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.